Welcome back to the Weighing In Podcast presented by Track Wrestling. I'm your host, Alex Dean. On the line, as always, David Mirakitani. David, episode 121. Uh, a lot to talk about this week in college wrestling. Some good international coming up this weekend. Uh, we're almost there. The college postseason is almost upon us. It is the easiest week of the year coming up to do rankings, followed by <laughs> one of the craziest weight classes when we get to a certain weight class i did something i've never done in my life before so we'll have to talk about it but yeah 121 man so uh, it was cool i was driving home with my dad today from wrestling practice and told him we were going to podcast told him we had done like 120 episodes between you and i and, and you and andy it, that's a pretty cool thing man it's a cool thing to be a part of for sure yeah and shout out to andy hamilton he's having a birthday today so uh Thanks That's for letting right. me do this. Thanks for getting me on here after <laughs> to take the take over the reins after he went on to do more important things. I guess uh, <laughs> I think he was tired. Of I talking recruited. To you. I recruited you, man. I recruited you. <laughs> <laughs> you needed for somebody sure. on here to keep you in line. So yeah, we'll we'll talk about. We love Andy game. Hamilton. He's the best for sure. Absolutely. We'll talk about all the Oklahoma State Iowa stuff and everything else in NCAA wrestling. But first, there's a there's a few other things to get to. Uh, wanted to give a shout out to Army. Uh, they beat Navy in the annual Army Navy duel um, in D1 wrestling, and they also claimed their 18th straight Armed Forces Championship over the weekend. Uh, great job by them, as always. They do great things, especially in Greco and with their WCAT program. So, shout out to them. Nice job. It's hard for me to say as an Air Force alum, but uh, you know. It's it. You got to give respect where respect is due. Sure. And I mean, anything military based, you know how I feel about that stuff. I mean, I just, you know, so much respect for those men and women. And I just I'm glad that that kind of stuff, you know, where those those branches are recognized, you know, for wrestling purposes. So it's really great. Absolutely. There was other Greco action over the weekend. The Hungarian Grand Prix, which is a UWW ranking series event, uh, was going on. Giangelo Hancock won at 97 kilos, so he'll be moving up. He was ranked 13th going into the event. He'll move up, obviously, with the win. And uh, Travis Rice finished fifth at 63 kilos, so good results there. And, you know, Hancock's one of those guys that we expect a lot out of, and he, you know, shows a lot of potential from time to time. So good to see him getting a win at a big event. Yeah, he's he's one of the guys that's the future. You know, when I was up in Chicago, uh, got to spend some time with Kendrick Sanders and Kamal Bay. You know, super awesome guys. As good a wrestler as they are, probably better people. Uh, and that's saying something. But yeah, you know, these guys that are high motor and explosive, That's those are the guys I think we need that are going to end up making a difference for us in that sport. So Hancock's definitely at the, at the short list of well of those guys that are doing things. So uh, for sure. And this weekend coming up at the Dan Kolov and Nikola Petrov event, uh, that's another UWW ranking series event, this time for men's and women's freestyle. Uh, we're sending a large roster that includes Thomas Gilman, Joe Colon, Jordan Oliver, James Green, Frank Molinaro, Jordan Burroughs, Alex Dierner, Kyle Snyder, and Nick Wisdowski, just to name a few on the men's side. There's even more that we're sending. Uh, on the women's side, the big names include Victoria Anthony, Sarah Hildebrandt, Kelsey Campbell, Kayla Miracle, Mallory Velti, Forrest Molinari, Maya Nelson, and Tamira Mensa-Stock, among others. So lots of U.S. wrestlers getting a chance to get international experience and some big names that are going to be gunning for medals later in the year looking to get a good seed. Uh, should be a good time. Yeah, I think after 
the weekend that Ringer had with uh, the duel, and then getting that that huge victory over us in uh, in pool. I think he's probably ready to go. So <laughs> we'll credit for his uh, mental success when he when he does great. <laughs> So. I mean, he, he won't face a tougher opponent all year. We know that. So, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Oklahoma State, duel of the weekend, Oklahoma State versus Iowa, a, thir- a crowd of 13,811 people. I was in attendance and just about as loud as I've ever heard any arena. Um, obviously, when Nick Piccinini pinned Spencer Lee, that was the peak. Uh, just mind-blowing. I it was so loud before they even called the fall. I could not tell that they called the fall. You know, I couldn't hear the whistle. I couldn't tell if they slapped the mat. Um, the, you know, Nick gets up and starts jumping around, and I'm looking at the clock, realizing that there's still time on the clock. There's five seconds left in the period. So then, it, that's when it, you know, was confirmed. Okay, they called the fall. That this really just happened. Uh, outstanding crowd, and a really interesting duel. Uh, it was. I think closer than the final score would indicate. Um, final score was Oklahoma State 27, Iowa 12. But there were a lot of matches that really came down to it. Uh, good battles up and down the lineup. Yeah, and for the record, uh, the two matches we disagreed on, you got right. You got Lugo, I had G. Feller. You had Weigel, I had Warner. Uh, I think we'll talk about the tactics of the 197 match, especially and we you know we had the rest of the matches pegged right, but obviously we did not predict. Well, no, actually we're wrong. We had Iowa at twenty five, so we were wrong there. And then I don't, you know, they made some switches in there, so we couldn't have counted on Playlock and Marinelli, you know. So, and then Chandler Rogers going up and just Chandler Rogers doing Chandler Rogers things and hitting assassins on people. Um, nice way for your last home duel. I mean, I was, and the celebration we've seen some dumb celebrations and over the top ones. That one was just, that was just awesome. <laughs> I mean, unless you're Iowa, that was just awesome. You know, just kind of low-key cool. I had never seen an Oklahoma State uh, team celebrate as much as they did. Obviously, a huge environment, and it was senior day. Uh, Chandler in particular, you know, for those that don't know, he's been through a lot in his career, you know, from his yes. father taking his own life during his freshman year and, you know, him and Jordan Rogers were on the team at that point and just fighting through it, a lot to deal with. Um, he's married now. It's his senior year. Uh, there were a lot of people attending that duel with Rogers shirts on, so I think he had a, a lot of family and friends in town. And then he goes up to 174, gets his favorite move, and gets the fall. So, yeah, I love the celebration. Uh, a lot of emotion just pouring out of him and just a great moment for a guy that's, you know, it meant a lot to the program and has had to deal with a lot of adversity throughout his career. So I, it was great to see, you know, no matter what you think of, you know, Oklahoma state or Chandler Rogers, you know, you got to love that stuff when guys get to get to kind of ride off into the sunset on that. And, you know, it, it might be his last match depending on how things go with Joe Smith at 165, but uh, just a great moment for him. And I was happy for him. Yeah, that's such a bizarre situation, right? Because, I mean, we saw the press conference with John where he tried not to give anything away and then couldn't help himself and said, Jacoby's going 74. Well, Jacoby's going 74, that means gear's going 84. And I don't think you do all that and your son doesn't make the lineup. Like, I just, you know, I just don't think that's how that goes. 
So it's it's a crazy situation. I've had a lot of people weigh in with me on where they think, you know, people should be and all that stuff. And, you know, I will say this. I've coached a lot of years. And when you're in the room and you know what's going on, unless you're really, really a stupid person, you know what's best for your team. And clearly John Smith is the opposite of a stupid coach. So he's going to do what he thinks is right for his team. But it, no matter how it goes, it's sad for somebody. And, you know, it, the, it's the ultimate first world kind of problems, right? Like too many good guys. And you can imagine this could have been even harder if Bulu Wallen was healthy. I mean, I guess we might have seen G all the way up to 57. I don't honestly know, but I mean, that's a crazy situation, right? Yeah, I kind of would expect in that situation that Gefeller and Brock would have been battling for the 141-pound spot, especially as tough a season as Brock has had. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's that's how things go. I'm not as convinced that it'll be Joe at 165. I was glad to see them commit to Jacoby at 74 because I think the worst-case scenario here is Joe makes the cut to 65, makes weight, loses that wrestle off and bounces back to 74 after all that. Um, that's just, I don't think that's good for anybody. Um, so I think you're right. That means gear has to be the 84. I doubt the loser of the 65 is going to try to go up two weights at the end of the season. Uh, so we'll see, but, uh, you know, somebody bad, somebody good is going to have to sit out and that's bad. But, uh, you know, like you said, it's kind of first world problems. You want to run right. through this duel, duel a little bit, kind of, Wait by wait, just to kind of look and see what what our reactions were. Obviously, we talked about twenty five. Uh, that match was already kind of it, it had piqued my interest when it went zero zero first period. Uh, Pitanini goes under Spencer Lee, which surprised me a little bit, and then got away af- just after the minute mark. So Lee had riding time, but it wasn't enough that you would you know think he couldn't uh, would still have it after. the Right, so he'd probably come back from that. And then Piccinini gets the takedown on the edge by locking up a cradle, horse and Lee over, and then gets the fall. So, you know, we've seen Lee, and he doesn't look right. And I don't know what the problem is. Obviously, we know what Ironside said earlier in the year, So, but he still doesn't look right. It's, you know, almost March now, and he still doesn't look right. Uh, what do you make of that? I, I, you know, the the big thing is the. I think he reminds me of Soriano, where these guys kind of had an air of invincibility. Not only did other people think that, but they felt that way about themselves, and that's gone. And when that goes, when your confidence goes, that's a very, very hard thing to get back. And I think you know, it was you know I. Pitch was really, he wrestled a really smart game plan, right? I mean, even if he doesn't get the pin, like even if he just adds a cradle and he gets a takedown out of it, he had still wrestled a really smart match to that point. Even if he doesn't get the takedown and they go out of bounds, you know, he had gotten out, like you said, it's 105, give or take a riding time. You know, he's going to either, you know, he's in that match. And I think what's crazy is how is this weight going to get seated at nationals, right? Because You've got Pitch, who's undefeated. You've got Rivera, who's undefeated. You've got Mueller, who's undefeated. You've got Arujao, who's undefeated. And you've got uh, Bresser with only one loss to Rivera. 
if Piccinini, I'm sorry, if Rivera wins the Big Tens over Spencer Lee, is Spencer Lee the sixth seed if these other guys all win their conferences? You know, I thought that initially, so I, I was running numbers today and doing some back-of-the-envelope math. We'll get to, I think we'll get into that when we go to 125 and talk about some sure. of the other stuff that That's happened fine. this weekend. I don't think he's going to be the sixth seed. He has some things pointing in his direction. I thought initially he might be. I don't think he's going to be, but it, it'll be interesting. Um, there's still some things to fight for there. We'll get into that at 125. Uh, so moving up to 133. DeSanto and Fix, it was a good match. Uh, I was kind of impressed with DeSanto really uh, being able to control the ties and kind of move Fix around, but he couldn't really generate much in the way of offense off of it. And Fix ended up riding him out in the third period for the 2-0 win. Uh, Fix was the only one close to a takedown in the match, actually had one that I think probably should have been given that was reviewed and not given. Uh, but it was an interesting match. I. It was not a match I think Austin DeSanto could have wrestled last year. I think his tactics have evolved. I think he's more capable of wrestling different kind of matches. But in the end, Fix was just a little too much still. Yeah. And you and me actually talked about this, so I'm going to bring this up. Like When we talk about how all these guys, the wins and losses, and how it changes in the rankings, guys like you and me that love this fantasy stuff, it, it makes a big change. So you, know, you can get some guys you think are going to do better than their rankings or seedings. And if you want to do that, you should go to fantasygrade.com for the Fantasy Wrestling National Championships to give you the opportunity to prove you know more than anybody about wrestling across the country. They've got an online salary cap event, and the live auction contest is going to be held the night before the Nationals at the Yard Restaurant in Pittsburgh. You can prove you know more than your, than your friends and people from around the country. The live contest is down to eight spots left of the 33. We've already have 25 people signed up. $300 of guaranteed participation prizes or play in the online contest as well. All the rules are at fantasygrade.com. Sign up today and prove you're the smartest wrestling fan in the country. So I just wanted to get that out there before we go too far. The, the match actually kind of went exactly the way I thought it would, which is the opposite of what I thought 25 was going to go. I mean, I there's a million scenarios where I would have picked before Pitchney played one up Spencer. Um, I, I just I have a hard time seeing uh, DeSanto taking down Fix unless he gets that dump. I do think there were two really goofy calls in that match. I think when DeSanto wanted stalling, that is was clearly stalling, and I think Fix definitely had a takedown. So I mean, if you say they both go the other way, Fix wins even more by more. But yeah, I just. I think Dayton's an interesting dude because when he lost to Philippi, I told my dad, I go, that dude is absolutely convinced that that was just lucky and will never happen again. And his mentality, I think, is a little different than some of these other guys. And, I, you know, you, you think guys are a certain way and you don't know it until it happens. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I also agree with your assessment of the stall call. At not a good match for the uh, edge of the mat. Stall call rules, very inconsistent across all of the entire duel. Um, just more evidence that we need to step out because, my goodness, you know, Caden Gefeller escapes on the edge and is basically already off the mat and gets called for it and then fixed back straight off the mat and doesn't get called for it. And there were multiple examples in the match of, you know, guys that should have gotten called that didn't. And then the ones they did call were awkward to say the least. Um, but, you know, overall, 
it was largely a controversy-free duel um, because those most of those calls that were squirrely and didn't look quite right didn't really affect the outcome of the matches like you were talking about with the fixed DeSanto match. So that's a good For thing. For sure. Uh, yeah. A little awkward in spots. Um, 141, Cade Brock beats Max Murren. I, it, I think this one is really a Rorschach test of which, uh, which guy you like more because Brock looked really good for about six minutes. Uh, and then Max Murren <laughs> very nearly turned him over for two back points to tie the match at the very end. So uh, <laughs> it was just too little too late for Murren, unfortunately for him. Uh, but Brock just, again, he's kind of like this all year. In spots, he looks like the guy at 133 that was two-time All-American, but it just doesn't seem to be there for an entire match. He doesn't go feet to back on you anymore, and he doesn't turn, and he doesn't reverse you. He doesn't scare you from the bottom. In fact, he struggles on the bottom. So he's he's very, very one-dimensional. He's unbelievable with shrugs. He's really good in space. He's really good with that soft hands lull you to sleep and then explode on you. But he doesn't turn or even ride anybody good and the, and the rest of the stuff I just said. So, I mean, like, if he loses, he has one way, he has one path to victory. He has to win the takedown battle. And, I mean, that's a lot of guys that's the case, but there's a lot of other guys that can reverse you to your back and do a lot of other things. And, and he has to win from his, on his offense on his feet. He doesn't score on counter offense. He doesn't put you in scrambles. He has to win on his shots, and none of his shots are feet to back. So, I mean, it, that has to change for him because it, it's not enough right now. Moving up to 149, uh, we mentioned it a little bit. Pat Lugo knocked off Caden Gefeller. Uh, you know, it just it was it kind of went exactly as I thought it might. Um, Gefeller, he looked okay. I don't know if that injury is lingering, if it's, you know, whatever it is going on with him. You know, maybe it's a little bit mental, maybe, who knows. Uh, but Lugo was rock solid, stayed in good position, and capitalized when Gefeller got out of position. And usually Gefeller's active enough that he can kind of overcome that. You know, he's always a little wild. Uh, but Lugo was just the kryptonite to that. He stayed in good position, just picked him off, and really wrestled a smart match all the way around. Uh, nice showing for Lugo. He had kind of a rough start to the year, but he looks like a guy that's that's going to come up and suddenly looks like an all-American possibility. I'm going to just reserve my commentary about 149 till we go through the rankings because you just uh, yeah, 149 is a little nuts. <laughs> I think I put I have a tab on my document called 149 mess, so I'm just going to leave. Yes. That. We'll get there, and you were very helpful, but it was a it is an absolute train wreck trying to sort out. It is kind of a nightmare. 157, uh, Caleb Young beat Wyatt Sheets, uh, kind of as we expected. I don't think there's too much to talk about there. And then a uh, little bit of a lineup surprise. Johnson Blaylock goes out for the Cowboys at 65, and Alex Marinelli does what you should do uh, when they bump up a guy to wrestle you and sticks him. Uh, just You could kind of see that coming all the way. Marinelli's just completely physically superior and uh, was going for the pin all the way and got it eventually. And then uh, 74, we mentioned it, you know, Chandler Rogers goes out against Mitch Bowman in a 12 to 12 duel at that point and not only gets the win, but eventually gets the fall and really kind of turned the tide back in the favor of the home team. What'd you make of those three weights? I think I, everything you said is right on point. I think the, the main thing that I really, really agree with is 
that duel was interesting at that point because if you go, hey, Cash Wilkie might beat Jacoby Smith, who has to weigh in five, six pounds underweight, and Warner Weigel is a toss-up, and even though Stoll's not himself, he beat Derek White the last time they wrestled. So, you know, Oklahoma State needs 174. And, you know, they ended up running running the table, so it didn't look like it was that close. But it's very it, – that match was big in the dual meet. So it was – you know, that was a big thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, moving up to 184, you know, as you mentioned, Jacoby Smith had to weigh in. I think he weighed in at 178. Uh, wrestling Cash Wilkie, who wrestled 197 last year, and there was a notable size difference there. Uh, yeah. But Jacoby did what he does. Uh, you know, he stayed on the attack. I was amazed at how well he could lift Cash Wilkie off a single leg. Uh, just amazing strength. And he got the win. And then moving up to 197, we'll talk about this match a little more in depth because Warner and Weigel, it was a really interesting battle. Um, Weigel came out more aggressive on his feet than I've seen him all year. Obviously, we haven't seen him a lot. Uh, but he got a takedown and he was attacking for another one at one point. Uh, but then had a really hard time keeping Warner down on the mat when he was on top. Did end up getting plenty of riding time, but there was a lot of returns and a lot of, you know, Warner would get to his feet and Weigel would have to hand fight. It actually ended up giving up a, a stall point uh, in that process. So it was a really good battle. Weigel ends up coming out on top. It was a close match. And it's another one where it's kind of good fans, good wrestling people can watch that match and see very different things. You can really see, oh, Warner was really close to winning that match and there's little things he can do to get better. And he almost had a takedown. Or you can look at it and say, well, the only takedown was Weigel's. He reversed him. He got three minutes of riding time. You know, without those penalty points, he wins easily. So it's really kind of it depends on your your perspective on that one what you really what you really see my perspective was why did jacob warner try to ride him in the third period it's a good question so you know i coached a long time i still coach guys i I, that is my normal perspective that i look at things even when i shouldn't like i just can't i can't get my brain out of that mode so I struggle with he would have had to ride him out for two minutes to it was, the scoreboard was tied and you were there, so correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't wasn't there like two minutes and fifty seconds of riding time, give or take a second or two? I'm trying to remember exactly. I I know if he rode him out, it was going to overtime. Right. If nothing else happened. Yeah, but it was over two minutes and less than three minutes. Okay, so something like that. He had to ride him a long time to kill it, okay? And, I mean, that fed perfectly into Weigel's thing, where I'm looking at it, if I'm Warner, I got a takedown, I cut him loose, I'm probably going to get a stalling point on my feet because Weigel's not going to shoot. And, you know, the, the, the worst-case scenario happened for Warner, which is we got reversed. Like, you know, that that's the one thing that he can't let have happen and happen. So, um, but I think that's a match that Warner can win. And I also think it proves that Weigel is most definitely a finals 
like a legit finals threat. Like, I think he could give Colin more problems. I think the worst case for Weigel would be if he ended up being the four or the five seed and stuck on the same half as Nickel, which that he might have done by winning that match. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Um, he should get enough matches at the Big 12s to have a winning percentage. Obviously, he won't have an RPI, but really depends on where the coaches put him, where he's going to end up seated. I think it was interesting because in the moment, sitting there and watching the matches, I didn't even really think about why is he riding him because it just it felt kind of right. Uh, you could tell Weigel was hurting. Uh, and at first, I wasn't sure he was going to be able to get up. And there was a moment where I thought, he might be so tired that he was going to get a stall call underneath. And he also had two cautions and the, there were a lot of cautions in this meet on restarts. So I kind of, it didn't even you know occur to me that, Oh, you know, why is he riding him? He can't ride him out. He needs to cut him. It just kind of felt right at the time. But then when you break down what was actually happening, which you would hope that the coaches are doing, it, it's a weird decision. You know, I, I, especially after you've done it a little bit and nothing, you know, and Weigel's starting to get up to your feet. That's the part where Warner needs to be smarter and realize, okay, I got to let him go. Like you said, you cannot give up a reversal there. And he did. So I'll be interested to see when those two meet again. Um, you know, you mentioned Weigel's not going to shoot in the third, but I, I didn't think he was going to take two shots in the first. So, but he was pretty out of gas by then. So I think you're right. He was gas. It's, it's interesting how it played out. Yeah, and he's he's not gassed because he's out of shape. He's gassed because he hadn't had time to get. Well, I guess he's out of shape. He had time to get in shape. You know, I mean, that's right. just how it goes. So, I mean, it's no discredit to him. He dug deep and found a way to win. Like, there's that's mad respect for that. But he just look. I, this is like the match. I, I this is a year old, but a year ago when Mizzou wrestled Oklahoma State and Ernest, you know. Cade picked down and Ernestie almost removed his hamstrings from the back of his legs. And then Ernestie picks down and lets Cade cut some loose or gets, you know, Cade cuts some loose and gets two takedowns to win the match. And I literally was riding around in a golf cart with Alex Clemson going, what did I miss something? He goes, we both picked the wrong thing. Both sides picked the wrong thing. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, that actually made me feel better. Cause I'm like, what am I missing? Like, this is crazy. So, I mean, I, you know, it, that choice made less sense to me than, than Piccinini picking bottom. Because John Smith believes you have to get out. We're going to go down all year and you have to get out. Like, I know that about yeah. him. And so that, and he's consistent with that. Whether you think it's smart or not, that's what he, that's his philosophy. And so I get that. I'm good with that. I just, you know, this other one, I'm like, we're going to ride a guy out to try to get a tie. I mean, I guess yeah. go, okay, we're going to ride him out and he's going to get tired and we're going to get a stall call. I think that's what you're, I mean, I guess you can bank on that, but that seems crazy to me. Yeah. You got to be thinking that um, if that's what you're going to try, but yeah, it, it doesn't look good in hindsight. So uh, moving up to 285, um, as you mentioned, you know, Sam Stoll beat Derek White last year in the duel. Uh, it was a big matchup and, Derek White got a first period takedown, which kind of removed most of the drama. Um, that was there was some good battles on the mat um, with White trying to get away. 
in the second period. But uh, in the end, he did. It was a 3-1 victory. They both got an escape. It, it was an interesting match. Uh, I think White did a much better job this year of being able to hold position, which on the one hand, that's good job by White getting better and figuring it out. On the other hand, I think it also speaks a little bit to Sam Stoll's limitations at this point. He might not be as powerful as he was last year. And he really had trouble, you know, even at, in the waning seconds when he knew he had needed a takedown, he didn't really, there wasn't much he could do. Um, I'm not sure he can really shoot much at this point. And, you know, everybody knows what his upper body stuff is. So it's just more, you know, Stoll's trying his best and he's the best option right now, but he's just not what he was, unfortunately. But a good win for Derek White, as you mentioned, and he is going to be the number two if he doesn't lose at the Big 12 tournament. Everything's dead on. The only thing I would say, which is probably harsher, is I think Sam Stoll just, I, I don't see how he can win four matches before he loses two, which is what the math is, unless you make it three straight to the semis. I don't see how that's going right. to happen. Like, he has no offense. And I'm, and I'm not saying it's fault, like he's lazy and won't wrestle or something. I'm just saying he, that dude doesn't have any offense. Like, if you can right. pull and move your feet, you're good. That's it. That's all you got to do. Like, Yeah, he's going to be very matchup dependent, I think, because guys that can ride legs can ride him out. And anybody that, like you said, that can hold position, that can move, is going to be able to neutralize his offense. So at that point, we're talking about coin flip. He's going to have to ride somebody out and get away. And that's it's going to be tough. Like you said, four, if he's got to win four matches, that's that's a dicey proposition at this point. Well, he does have to win four matches, right? I mean, like, right. it's just the math of it. Like, we would tell our guys that we looked all year when guys would wrestle on, on our team was who can put a four-match streak together? Who can go win right. four out of five, four out of six, or four in a row, yeah. ideally, right? And you're, I mean, you're being kind. I'm not trying to be harsh, but you're being kind when you say he's matchup dependent. These would be four guys that don't have access to the internet. <laughs> well, I mean, there are only so many heavyweights that can ride legs. Like I'm just saying, let's say you down. can't ride legs. So. Let's say you can't ride legs, okay? You are automatically in the tiebreaker rideouts with that guy if you can hold the center. Right. He's not going to shoot, and he's not going to throw you. Even if he locks his hands, he's not going to throw you. I mean, I guess he could throw you if, like, you're just dumb and just let him crunch you and give him shoulder position and everything else, but he's not going to throw you from 50-50. Right. Like he just doesn't have offense anymore. I mean, it, he's, and it's not like he's, at one point, I think he was pretty scary on top. He's not that anymore either. Yeah. I mean, he can still ride. He's not going to turn you over. Uh, I think that's really his path to victory is to get, you know, be scary enough on his feet that nobody takes any chances, get, get a riding time point and get away from guys that can't ride legs. I mean, you know, he's beaten some guys, you know, he beat Hamida one to nothing. I think that's pretty much what happened. I think Hamida probably took neutral. Uh, that's he the kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff. Those are the kind of matches he's got to win. So he's that's, that's tough boring, to do. He's a super boring version of Cade Brock. Yeah. Which is, it's funny because last year, you know, he scored a ton of bonus points. and was pinning people left and right at the NCAA tournament. And this year with the, you know, with the knee stuff, as you just, he can't. So it's, it's unfortunate. But. He's got two good okay. legs. That's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Let's hit the Resolite. <laughs> yeah, the Resolite read is easier than the rankings at 149. I'm going to say that. So we're brought to you by the rankings are brought to you by Resolite, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. Their zip mat, the first and only tape free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to their exclusive DigiPrint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. We'll start at 125 pounds. Um, Sean Foz made 125, which is always news, and he beat Joey <laughs> Prada of Virginia Tech 11 to nothing. Um, NC State ended up beating Virginia Tech on the most team points criteria, 53 to 46, in their annual ACC battle. Um, it, you know, the ACC has a lot of teams that are, you know, improving. Uh, but right now, it's still NC State and Virginia Tech. So every year when they meet, it's a lot of fun. And it was again this year. So uh, Foz is kind of a wild card going into the postseason because we just don't see him very much. Uh, other interesting results, uh, Drew Hildebrandt over Ravon Foley, 7-5 to in Sudden Victory 1. Hildebrandt, obviously, from Central Michigan, Foley from Michigan State. And, of course, Piccinini over Lee by fall. You talked about NCAA seeding. Before we get into that, uh, what did you see at 125? Pitch went from four to two. I think if neither one of them had placed last year, I would have pitch one over Rivera, but I don't. Um, Ravon Foley dropped from eight to 12. Hildebrandt moved from 18 to 16. Those were the main movers. Foz moved up a spot. So Foz, Glory, and Fleetwood moved up, or those guys moved up a spot. Um, because of Foley. So that loss hurts Foley a lot. I mean, he has a lot of wins, but he's got a ton of matches against non-quality wins. So let's – there's a bunch of weights that aren't going to take very long. This weight will take a little bit, and 49 will take a little bit. We can kind of skip through a bunch of the other ones. Explain to me – and I don't mean this. Any, I mean, like, literally educate me. How do you – let's say Rivera wins the Big Tens, Pitch wins the Big 12s, Lee's the runner-up, Presser wins the Pac-12s, Mueller wins the ACCs, Arugia wins the EIWAs, and there's a partridge in a pear tree. How does it get seeded? Okay, so I did some calculations. I looked at some quality wins. Um, that stuff is subject to change because obviously the coaches' rankings will move um, and win percentages will change and RPIs will change and stuff like that. But in general, obviously we know that Rivera – and Piccinini are the top two. Rivera has better quality wins overall from it. And this is, you know, when I say quality wins, I'm looking at it from the NCAA perspective, which is a tiered structure of quality wins that includes everyone that qualifies for the tournament. So I'm kind of projecting who's going to qualify. And then based on how good they are, based on coaches ranking, RPI and win percentage, you, they get a certain number of points. And so it looks like Rivera is going to be one. He's ahead of Piccinini in the RPI. I think he's going to have more quality win points. So I think he's probably going to be one. Okay. But obviously, those are the top okay. two. Three, four, five, and six right now, I think, are going to be Spencer Lee, Ronnie Bresser, Jack Mueller, and maybe Arujao, although it concerns me that his coach's ranking is so low right now. Um, Mueller Wait. is five, Bresser is. Yeah. So we'll have to see on that. You got Spencer Lee at, at three with three losses. 
over Mueller? No, I don't. I'm saying three, four, five, and six are those four guys. I think Arujao might not be in that group just because of his coach's ranking. Um, I'm concerned. So what you do to break those guys up, you mentioned three of them are probably going to be conference champions in this scenario. So they, they get 10 points that Spencer Lee will not have. There is no head-to-head among those four. There is no common opponents among those four that anyone will get an advantage out of because you've either lost to Sebastian Rivera or beaten everyone. Uh, so that's out. So you look at quality wins, RPI, and winning percentage. Lee has the worst winning percentage, but he has the best RPI and the best quality wins of that group. So quality wins is a little misleading. It says it's 20% in the uh, rubric. However, in almost every case of high seeds like this, it's going to be a 15 to 5 split. So it's in effect 10 points because the guy that has more points doesn't get all 20 unless the other guy has no quality wins. So okay. all these guys have quality wins. So, so it's, it's going really, to be a 15-5 yeah. split. So it's really, an, it's so, a, this is a 90-point system, theoretically. Yeah. All right. In effect. And so yeah. this is going to come down to Lee is going to be tied with all these guys going to the coach's ranking. So the coach's ranking, whatever it ends up being in that scenario, is going to be the order for Lee and those other guys. If Lee's ranked ahead of them, he's going to stay ahead of them. If he's not, he won't jump them. So Bresser may jump him this time because Bresser was ahead of Piccinini, the last coach's ranking. So he may move ahead, but Mueller was five. Arujao was, I forget, seven, eight or nine. I, he's not going to drop below Arujao right now. He, I doubt he drops below Mueller at this point. So if he only ever loses to Rivera again and stays above everybody but Bresser, that'd leave him as a four seed. Uh, I, I don't know if they'll jump Mueller ahead of him at some point. If Mueller beats Foz in the ACC finals, I guess you might see that. Uh, but in, in effect, wherever they put Spencer Lee in the coaches ranking as a, in relation to those other three guys, that's where he's going to be. Okay. That's helpful. Basically, I mean, and obviously there's a, a very reasonable chance that somebody else, you know, may hold seed, you know, or not, may not hold serve. So. Right. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. So, okay. 33. Moving up to 133. Chaz Tucker of Cornell took out Luke Pletcher of Ohio State 2-1 to one in first tiebreakers. Uh, Tariq Wilson was back on the mat at 133 and beat Corbin Myers of Virginia Tech 6-1. to one. And John Ernesti of, of Missouri tech falled Austin Gomez of 20 by the score of 22 to six in six minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, I believe there were three six point moves by John Ernesti in that match. Uh, he's just one of those guys that yeah, it's, it's perfect for him wrestled Austin Gomez because Gomez will go for it. And Ernesti's one of those guys that can do that to you um, when he's having a good match. So uh, what else did you see at 133? Well, I saw John's dad, Bill, um, at senior day a couple weeks ago, I promised him we would get his name right. So we have to pronounce his name Ernesty for the rest of the year. I made him that promise. So Ernesty. Okay. Ernesty. So Tariq coming back. I mean, you have two super long, funky dudes now in Wilson and Ernesty, which was, you know, the terrible matchup for Ernesty last year as the five seed. Uh, your, your assessment of Ernesty and Gomez, like that's like counter puncher and puncher, right? But I mean, perfect matchup for him. Yep. So, 
Chaz Tucker over Pletcher. I mean, so the rankings, the first six guys stayed the same. Lezak moved from nine to seven. Uh, Ernesty from 11 to eight. Tucker from 12 to nine. Gomez from seven to 10. Pletcher from eight to 11. You know, and then RBY actually dropped because we had to put him, keep him behind Gomez, 10 to 12. So those were sort of the big, you know, the big movers, I guess. And Cam Sakura took a loss, so he dropped a few spots too. But that was basically it. Moving up to 141 pounds, Yanni Diakmahalas of Cornell knocked off Joey McKenna 7 to 5. It was interesting watching this match. I mean, you see the 7 to 5 final score and you think, you know, McKenna had some offense, but it was a reversal that he scored on, really. Uh, Diakmahalas had all three takedowns in that match. Uh, and it's it just kind of underscored for me again. We forget how good Yanni is, I think, sometimes because he kind of goes away. You know, Cornell has that schedule where they, they wrestle Cliff Keen and then they kind of go over and do the Ivy League EIWA thing for a while. And, you know, they're not always tested a ton depending on who they hit. When he gets a big match, he just reminds us how good he is because McKenna's been really good this year. I know he's, you know, stumbled a little bit, but he's. He's really good, and Yanni took him down three times. Yeah. Yanni's special. Um, he's a special dude. When you listen to him talk, his mindset is super interesting. Um, he's got this cur- perfect match right now of an intense savage, and he still has the ability to be a kid in the best way, and then a lot of stuff doesn't get to him. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think – yeah, Yanni, I just, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I don't think I, you know, it's, I think it's Yanni and it's everybody else, which, you know, I think people have been looking for guys. You you said it right. Their schedule's a little wonky. And also he's been hurt a little bit. So, you know, and then he came back and didn't, you know, just murder everybody when he came back. So you go, oh, maybe he's vulnerable. And then it's like, no, maybe we were wrong. Maybe he's just a savage. So, right. I'm going to ask you. So now we're going to spend the rest of Let's skip, let's skip forty nine. Come back because I think there's. Oh, I was going to say we should spend. I was going to say we should spend the rest of the podcast talking about one forty nine because we let's probably just, could. Let's just blow through the last like fifty seven. <laughs> we take like ten minutes okay. and then we can close on that. So sounds good. So we'll, we'll come back to forty nine fifty seven. Dan Reed of Columbia had a nice win over Zach Hartman of Bucknell four to two. Logan Parks of Central Michigan beat Griffin Perriott by fall in 6'11". Uh, Perriott's really struggling lately. What else do you see at 57? Yeah, he had big fall. He, or he, he fell a long way. So he fell from 10 to 20. So, yeah, that was, you know, and then Hartman went from 16 to 21. So those were the big, those are the big movers there. And, I mean, that's, yeah. It's, Griffin Perriott was high in my rankings for a long time because, he had made the finals of Vegas, and I'm almost positive beat Berger. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, so that that's a great win. And I mean, you make the finals again. It's can you string four or five matches together? Because this is all based on everybody wants to be in that top eight, which is where you're an all American. And that's a big, you know, that you got to string matches together, and he had done it. But yeah, it's you know, he's he's trending in the wrong direction for sure. Do you see anything at 65 or 74? I, I don't have anything written down here. Um, let me look and see. I don't have anything of any note. 65. Uh, 
Yeah, we made a change in 23, 24, and 25. And then Spencer Carey took a loss to drop it from 20 to 25 at 174, but certainly nothing, you know. And Womack and Ethan Smith were one spot apart, so they flip-flop based on their dual meet. Right. Yep. Right. Moving up to 184, Sam Colbray of Iowa State beat Drew Foster 8-5. to five. Uh, Zach Savatsky of Virginia Tech beat Nick Reenan of NC State 6-2. to two. And Jordan Atienza of Central Michigan had a nice win over Cam Caffey of Michigan State 8-5. to five. Uh, Foster's struggling a little bit. Uh, Reenan, I think most of his issues are uh, physical right now. He still has some stuff in neutral, but he's struggling on the mat. I think that knee is really an issue right now. What else do you see at 184? It's it's such a weird weight. Like it seems like nobody wants to be number two, right? And <laughs> nobody wants to be anywhere close to the top of the rankings other than Miles Martin. Right. Yeah. So we've got Rashid at two, but he hasn't wrestled a lot. Ven's moved up. Ben's Parker and Dean all moved up from four five six to three four five. Zabatsky moved up from six to eight and moved Renan down right below him to seven. Drew Foster fell from 7 to 10. Nino Bonacorsi is a guy that people should keep an eye on. He's uh, he's having a good year. Colbray moved up a couple spots. So we've had Colbray above Wilkie all year. A lot of other people hadn't. You know, it was based – I didn't feel like Wilkie's body of work was good enough to overcome the head-to-head loss. So – you know, but obviously, like, you know, Jacoby Smith is in here at nine. I mean, it's going to be super interesting if he goes down where Dakota Gear pops in in here. So I'm not changing those rankings until after the Big 12s. And it just seemed like a monumental waste of mental energy to do it on a maybe for sure. Well, and, uh, you know, even if Gear comes back, his body of work at 84 is pretty limited right now. So it's pretty much going to be determined by the big 12s where he should be ranked slash seated. So right. yeah, I don't think that's a problem at all. I appreciate it. Cause it's moving up to one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Moving up to one ninety seven. moving up to one ninety seven. Nathan Traxler of Stanford wrestled for an hour against Eric Schultz of Nebraska, ended up beating him seven to six in the third set of tiebreakers on a riding time differential. Uh, Tim Young of old dominion beat Steven Loiseau of Drexel five to four. Uh, we mentioned Weigel over Warner, 5-3. to three. Anthony McLaughlin of Air Force beat Jacob Seeley of Northern Colorado, 3-2, to two, as Air Force beat Northern Colorado. Go, Air Force. Uh, <laughs> what else do you see at 197? It's a good weekend for you, Air Force and, hey. and Oklahoma State. Yeah, Seeley. I know. The, 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 go ahead. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Well, I just, I just said, I mean, two weeks before that, you know, Oklahoma State wrestled Air Force, and I, you know, I, my my allegiances were torn. I I love Air Force, but you know I also love Oklahoma State, so it's tough for me. That's right. But Seeley dropped from nineteen to twenty two, and the rest of it just kind of got reworked between nine and fourteen. The current nine through fourteen is Traxler, Honus, Schultz, Brunner, Slay, and uh, how do you, I pronounce it, Louisa? But I'm thinking you're, you you pronounced it differently. The Drexel kid, I. I have no idea. You're probably right. Okay. Whatever. I don't think I've ever heard it pronounced. Okay. I just always read it. Sure. So. All right. So, but this is another way that, and, well, and Weigel moved up, right? Weigel moves up from six to four. So the team points got a little, you know, Oklahoma State is third now. Let me pull that up real quick. Just uh, team rankings. Here we go. 
Oklahoma State has 80 and Ohio State has 82 and Michigan has 71 and a half and Iowa dropped to fifth with 66. So that duel had a big impact on, you know, some some ranking points. You know, obviously 25, yeah. huge weight, 25 and 97 were significant or they, you know, we moved up and you moved down and, you know, in that scenario. Right. 285 pounds. I have one note here. Gannon Grimmel of Iowa state started off the week by losing to Carter Isley of Northern Iowa, but then he beat Zach Elam of Missouri in sudden victory two five to three. So kind of a split week for Grimmel. Um, <laughs> It's interesting with Elam goes to overtime against Derek White one week and then uh, loses to Grimmel the next week. Uh, he's obviously right in it, uh, but kind of struggling down the stretch here. Freshman wall. I talked, I literally told yeah. uh, Clemson that I'm like, I just think he's, you know, get to remember that kid wrestled a full season, wrestled everything like Fila juniors or UWW juniors, whatever you want to call it, you know, made a world team you know, was it alternate? And then they were bulking him up and then he gets the call because uh, he's the alternate and to Kirkley it and she cuts back down and then has to come right back. And then they pull him out of red shirt. Like that yeah. dude needs a break, you know? So he right. gets- yeah, it's, it's hard when they do that. I mean, you, it's hard for freshmen anyway, especially guys like that, that, I mean, I don't think he was getting pushed a lot during the regular season in high school. Oh. And so now you're going to go out and wrestle a tough, a tough schedule and you've just wrestled all summer long. So it, it it's tough. I mean, he's the right option for them, but man, that's, that's a lot of wrestling and it was going to be tough anyway. And just to throw all that extra stuff on top of it, that's, that's tough. Yeah. All right. You want to chop up one forty nine? All right, 149. David has written in our notes, chaos in all caps, and I don't disagree with him on that. Uh, it's it's insane. It's one of those weights where every time I read a result, I went, man, that's going to mess up the rankings. <laughs> so I'm, David has probably no hair left after this weekend, if he did before. And so let's read them off. Uh, what I have is Max Thompson of Northern Iowa over Jarrett Deegan of Iowa State 7-5. Mitch Feinsilver of Duke over Austin O'Connor of North Carolina, 6-4. to four. Uh, Davian Jeffries of Oklahoma, who seems to be on the upswing, beat Henry Polmar of South Dakota State, 7-5. to five. Polmar also lost to Christian Monser out of West Virginia, 5-1. to one. I don't think that one was an upset. Uh, Parker Cropman of Drexel took Matt Kolodzik of Princeton down late in a 3-1 to one win. Cropman is now 9-6 and six on the year, so uh, you can imagine that's one of the bigger upsets we've seen. Uh, we mentioned Lugo over Gefeller, 7-4. to four. And Jarrett Deegan uh, took the rubber match against Brock Mahler of Missouri, 11-4. to So, I, I mean, we talked about this, and I'll let you kind of go through your thought process here, but it seemed like every time it was like, oh, this guy's going to move up, that guy went and lost a match right after that. So I, I do not envy you this one. You said, you said it – well, first of all, everything you described was accurate. And, like, you go, oh, hey, David lost. Okay, Alex is going to move up. Well, Alex lost. Okay, well, he'll move – you know, Andy will move up. Andy lost. Oh, okay. You know, like, it just kept happening. So what we did eventually was we just sorted out – I spreadsheeted Kolasnik, Mahler, G. Feller, Feinsilver, O'Connor, Justin Oliver, Deegan, and Lugo. And we gave them credit for good wins. 
and deductions for bad losses and minor deductions for good losses. Without running through all of this, Kolasnik had, here's the good wins. Kolasnik, eight, Mahler, five, G. Feller, six, Feinsilver, eight, O'Connor, seven, Oliver, three, Deegan, five, Lugo, four. And unfortunately, we just used top 25. So beating, like if somebody had beat National, that counted the same as beating, you know, no offense, but Christian Montserrat, which is not right. But just to at least get a scale. Good losses, Kolasnik zero, Mahler two, G. Feller three, Feinsilver two, O'Connor three, Oliver three, Deegan three, Lugo five. Bad losses, Kolasnik one, Deegan two, Lugo two, and everybody else zero. So we just did a quick math and gave, if you had a good win, you got a point. If you had a good loss, you lost a point. And if you had a bad loss, you lost two points. Quickly, that gave Lugo... Deegan and Oliver, the three lowest scores. And when we looked at Oliver's body of work, his three good wins are Blees, Montserrat, and Jeffries, which you could argue is actually zero good wins. So he came out at the bottom. Of the- yeah, I'd, I'd give him one. Okay. I'd give him one, maybe one and a half. Okay, no, that's fine. <laughs> but I'm saying it's certainly arguable, right? So, right, right. I mean, basically, he just hasn't, he lost, he split with Montserrat. Lost to Feinsilver, lost to O'Connor, lost to Micah, which is, you know, the Micah thing's fine because Micah's undefeated except Ashnall. So he became number 10. Deegan and Lugo were the next two lowest. They were within a point of each other. Deegan beat him head to head. Lugo's nine. Deegan's eight. Without getting really tricky, Kolodzik still has, or Kolodzik has the best body of work. He basically gets a mulligan for taking this goofy loss because he had the most good wins. I mean, he's 17 and two. His winning percentage is almost 90%. So, and he's beaten Blees, Gifo, or Lugo twice, Martin, O'Connor, Polmeyer, and Max Thompson. And he lost Ashnall. So he stayed three. Fine Silver and O'Connor. It really came down to Fine Silver is ahead of O'Connor. He has more good wins, less good losses, and the same amount of bad losses, which are none, and a higher winning percentage. So they were, you know, they're handcuffed together. Mahler and G. Feller are sort of handcuffed together. Their numbers were very similar, and Mahler beat G. Feller head-to-head. So it was, do we go Mahler, four, G. Feller, five, Fines over six, O'Connor, seven, or what we decided to do, which was Fines over four, O'Connor, five, Mueller, six, G. Feller, seven. Annie Hamilton said it as good as you did and I did, which is there's a bunch of ways you could split this up. There's a bunch of ways that are defendable. There's a bunch of ways that are that you can criticize. Put them in the order that you feel like you, you can defend the best. So I think it's weird that Fine Silver is three spots ahead of G. Feller, and G. Feller beat him head-to-head. But G. Feller's five and four in his last nine matches. Ryan Silver's had a really, really good season. And if you kind of look at the whole body of work, I mean, I didn't realize Justin Oliver had, had such a nondescript season. And this this really, I left this up just so that I could talk about this, hopefully, semi-intelligent. Yeah, and I think you did a good job of it. Uh, it's one of those things, you know, you mentioned the head-to-head and it looks weird. And that's, 
at this point in the season when everybody's taking losses, that's it's just that's how it's going to be. I mean, do we put Deegan ahead of Brock Mahler because he's beat him twice? I mean, the rest of their body of work is completely opposite. Mahler hadn't lost anybody else. Deegan's taking losses. So it's just one of those things that you have to, at some point, make a judgment call. And like I said, you went through it. You broke down every result all season long because, I mean, that's kind of the stuff that's holding Lugo back. Right now, I think he's probably better than some of those guys. But he hasn't earned it because his body of work, I mean, those early season matches, they still count. So we have to hold him back right now, even though he's wrestling very well. So it it's tough. I remember weights like that before. And like I said, you called me and we kind of walked through it. So I I knew kind of your thought process on it. And it's, it's madness. And of course, all this will go into seeding in a little while. Uh, Fine Silver really is an interesting case because he has a really good RPI. Um, You know, obviously he avenged, he's beaten O'Connor twice out of three matches. He has the Gefeller loss and he has the Ashnault loss, but he's got a really good winning percentage. He's got some good wins. He's, you know, he's out in the ACC. If he beats O'Connor again, you know, at the ACC tournament, he could end up really high seeding wise. So I think the worst he'll be a score. That. I think the worst he'll be a score. If he wins the ACC. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. So, and of course, Oliver has that chance. You know, if he goes out and beats, um, if Oliver beats O'Connor and Fine Silver to win the ACCs, then suddenly he'll get a much better seed. So everything's still in front of him in that regard. Um, and that's what we love about conference season. So this way we'll get sorted out. Um, it's madness right now. And, you know, who knows what's coming. Maybe Davey and Jeffries will go win the Big 12 and nothing will make sense. We don't know. And Andy, so We will have to wait and see on and that. And Andy said what you said. Like, hey, Lugo's but, wrestling great right now. And I'm like, I agree. But he's lost to Klosnick twice. He's lost to Deegan. Losing national certainly that's non and he actually that if anything would help you because he wrestled them good, but he lost to Russell Rolfing, and he lost to Sammy Sasso. Sammy Sasso's I don't know if that's a bad loss or not. I mean we'll know next year, right? I mean he's redshirting behind the number two guy in the country, but his four good wins are G Feller, Heil, Bryce Martin, and Yaya Thomas. I mean so he's got two good wins. Heil really has. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a weird. It, the problem is, if if I show you my rankings, you can find four flaws in just head to heads right away. Like that's the problem. Sure. And, and I don't like that, but I, I feel like this is the most defendable position. Yeah, at this point in the season, there is no answer where everyone that's beaten someone head to head is ranked in front of them. It's just not a thing anymore. Like there's too many conflicting results, so. You do what you can. Uh, luckily for all the wrestlers that are going to make it to the postseason, as long as they keep winning, our rankings don't mean anything. So right. <laughs> that's, yeah. the, that's the plus sign. You're not going to hurt anybody. That's right. Okay. So obviously this week, no wrestling at the D1 level. Um, some of the other levels no, are in their postseason Pac-12s. now. Right? Pac-12 is this weekend? They have to because everything yes. else is next so weekend. Friend. They have to be. You're right. So Pac-12 is this weekend. Um, so that'll be good. Check that out. I always watch that because it's the only D1 wrestling on. Obviously, the Dan I, – I lost it. The Dan Kolov-Nikola Petrov tournament, uh, that'll be good. Uh, 
one other thing I wanted to touch on here. I found out about this right before the podcast. Wasn't sure if we were going to have time for it, but I want to give a shout out to Alex Pena of Lubbock High School in Texas. He won a state title. Um, his family has been through some stuff this year. Um, he was hospitalized early on in the season with an infection in his shoulder, barely made it back. He's winning his semifinal match, and his dad had a heart attack in the stands. Oh uh, won the match, ran up there to be with him. Um, he made it, but they all went to the hospital. Uh, when the dad went into surgery, he went, well, I guess I have to go back and wrestle my state finals match. He won his state finals match. His dad's okay. Isaiah, you know, we're thinking about you. Make a full recovery there. Um, so just that family went through it this weekend, got a state title out of the deal. And of course the dad's okay, which is the big news. So, uh, that's crazy stuff. Um, I can't imagine what was what that was like for that entire family this weekend, but uh, that's a great story. Glad you won. Glad everything's okay, and uh, I hope that the road to recovery is short for them. Because wow, that that was that was quite a story. I didn't know that story. That's and it puts everything in perspective, right? I mean, that's what matters. Absolutely. Family, what matters. Well, that's kind of right. yeah. I mean, families don't matter. That's kind of what the coaches said too. Right. That's kind of what the coaches said too. You know, we're, we're there in a wrestling match and you know, it's state tournament. You think it's a big deal. And then suddenly life smacks you in the face. And it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. this is as important as this is. There's a lot of other stuff. So uh cool story there. Uh, looks like it's going to have a happy ending. So that's the best part. All right. Well, pack 12s coming up. Um, check that out this weekend and then we'll get ready. The allocation should be out on Thursday. So we'll be able to pour over those and we'll come back next week to talk about Pac-12 wrestling, international wrestling, and look forward to the rest of the D1 conference tournaments. David, before we go, do you have anything else for the people? Any eyes are this weekend, goes are this weekend, and we're going to have some awesome border brawl matchups to announce next week. AWL border brawl matchups. Those are coming along nicely. So yeah, big shout out to uh, all my JUCO guys I used to coach with and against. And um, talked to Grant Turner to, today, He's my Nike guy, and he helps out at Grandview. So told him I would give Danny Eyes a shout out. The uh, the Grandview team's pretty good at wrestling. They do pretty well at nationals. <laughs> they are pretty good, and definitely check those tournaments out because they're a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, I I'm guilty of it like everybody else. You know, sometimes we get laser focused on D1s, but this time of year when the D1s takes a little bit of a step back, sometimes you get to watch those guys and they're just, there's so much talent. It's so exciting. And, you know, the emotion when you're wrestling for a title is just really cool no matter what level you're at. So check those out when you can. Um, just cool stuff all the way around. Wrestling is so good at every level. I just, I can't get enough of it. And I know you can't either. Yeah, so. for sure. Very cool stuff. All right. Well, we didn't go 70 minutes this week, which is probably a step in the right direction. Uh, we'll be back next week. No promises on how long that one's going to go. For David Miracatani, this is Alex Steen signing off.